0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Today on the show, soccer. Canada beat the U.S. yesterday. How big was that? Nobody really paid much attention to it last night, it seemed, but it was big. We'll tell you how big. When we closed out the show yesterday, Alan and Bob both made mention. We talked a little bit about what's happening in Syria and the idea that this was brought on, this change in Syria is in terms of kind of who's running the show in and around ISIS prisoners. That had been brought on by U.S. President Donald Trump making a change and withdrawing troops. And both Alan and Bob made the point, and I thought it was a pretty valid one, People are angry with U.S. President Donald Trump for doing that, or at least asking questions as to why that happened. But, but, what are other countries doing? So, how does our military look? Well, it just so happens Mike Armstrong, global news reporter, has been working on the Ignited and Ignored series. And we're going to delve into that, and we will talk about the defense policy in Canada. Now, that sounds very boring. Don't worry. We try never to make anything boring on London Live, and Mike Armstrong is a perfect person to have on. This will be very enlightening, so get set. Right now, we get an opportunity to check in with Ipsos Vice President Sebastian Delaire, and we get an opportunity to talk about a new Ipsos poll and some of the results showing some very interesting things, like close to 3 in 10 voters— See the conservatives as the party most committed to keeping their election promises. But when you hear 3 and 10, wait a minute, doesn't that mean 7 and 10 think otherwise? <sighs> we have trouble breaking down the numbers. Fortunately, Sebastian is here to help us. Sebastian, how are things in the world of numbers today?
1: They're doing well. They're doing well. A lot of numbers these days.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we'll try and make sense of as many as we can. Uh, What you did was looked at trust and leadership in a recent poll. This was conducted exclusively for Global News. It was conducted between October 11th and the 13th. What Mm -hmm. jumped out at you in amongst the reams of data that you collected?
1: (laughs) Yeah, there, there were a lot of numbers in this one, but what really... Stood out when we look at key issues and who's in the best position to deal with these issues, it is compared to what we saw earlier in the campaign, the conservatives uh seem to have the lead, and especially Andrew Shear pers- Andrew Shear personally, because we asked which leader would be in the best position to uh help with those issues that you take to heart. And, and what we've noticed is that the right now the conservatives have taken the lead on uh on many core issues especially regarding the economy and cost of living uh, which we know are important to voters
0: when we look at that first number that we mentioned, close to three in ten voters see the conservatives as the party most committed to keeping promises. We'll look and say, well, wait a minute, three in ten. But when you look at that, what are you seeing? Because this, this doesn't just work conversely to seven in ten think otherwise. How big is that three in ten in terms of that trust that people are feeling?
1: Well, it, it, it's common, uh, for, for voters to have distrust of politicians and key promises. Uh, but, but in fact, what is interesting is when you look factually in the proportion of promises that parties will keep, no matter who's in power, they tend to keep most of their promises, sometimes by very large majorities. But what sticks out for people is more often than not the key promises that were broken, especially the key promises that matter to us personally. And this is what is reflected in the results. And, and on that metric as well, what we're seeing is right now the Conservatives do have an edge. And Andrew Scheer does have an edge on Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh in terms of who is more likely to keep their
0: promises. We're talking with Sebastian Dallaire, Ipsos vice president, on trust and leadership polling that has been done exclusively for Global News. When we look at the prime minister, as much as we'll go out and vote in our individual ridings and hopefully take great care in who we're voting for and what might happen in those ridings, that big picture of best prime minister was looked at. What did you find?
1: Well, in terms of best prime minister, in line with changes in voting intentions that we measured, we saw that Justin Trudeau took a bit of a dip and is now on par with uh, Andrew Scheer. But also what we notice noticed is Jack Mead Singh uh, definitely um, went up uh, in line with the uptick in support for the NDP. All of a sudden, he is part of that discussion, whereas he wasn't really... Uh, looked at very seriously before the past week or so. So his performances in the debate seem to have really changed the way people looked at the NDP leader.
0: Do we call this an NDP surge? That's a good polling word, but are we seeing a surge?
1: If it sticks for more than one poll, uh, then we could possibly talk about a surge. Does it still go up in the next poll uh that's what we really want to look for if it's just a you know one off and then things go back down again it's it's not really a surge but right now it it certainly looks positive and um if it holds up what it does is it splits the vote in a way that clearly uh puts the liberals at a disadvantage compared to where they were only one week ago and it, it helps the conservatives
0: One of those big issues out there is, of course, the deficit. And this has been an issue in election after election. Doesn't matter, it seems, whether we're talking provincially or federally when we're talking out of Ontario. But if you look at the best leader to tackle the deficit, what did Canadians think of there? Who did they feel would be the best leader to tackle the deficit?
1: Well, on that issue, again... Andrew Scheer uh, stands out as I mentioned before everything that relates to the economy but also public finances uh, the conservatives and Andrew Scheer really stand out as the leader in the party that would be in the best position to deal with this issue which is not surprising because positions of other parties on this have been much less clear uh shall i say it's it's in in the case of the conservatives they want to bring back uh the deficit they want to rein back the deficit they have a timeline uh and so does the popular party but because they have such a small base it, it doesn't really show in the results
0: Finally, one of the things that I always like, you're not afraid to look at some of the, the lighter side of things to get a real picture of of how people are feeling from coast to coast. One of the questions you asked, dealt with, who would be the best person to grab a drink with? What were the <laughs> results there, Sebastian?
1: Well, unfortunately for Andrew Shear, that's the one item where he did not fare as well. Uh, so, so on that one... Uh, It was a mix between uh, Jagmeet Singh and and Justin Trudeau. So in terms of personable or people that you would like to just sit down, have a beer, chat with on this one, uh, Andrew Scheer was uh, outnumbered by by his two uh, main opponents. So that's uh, one item where he needs to work on it a bit.
0: Sebastian, thank you so much for running down the numbers. Anything else that jumped out at you before we close out?
1: No, I think we, we, we've we covered all the main issues. Now it remains to be seen what happens over the next few days when people start wondering exactly what they want. Uh, is it a minority? Is it a majority? What color will it be? A lot of questions still at play.
0: Tick, tick, tick. We're counting down. Sebastian, thanks for helping us to follow it. My pleasure. Take care. That is Sebastian Delaire, Ipsos Vice President on Trust and Leadership Polling. Because going into this campaign, if you said, okay... Who's a good leader? We talked about this. We've talked about this repeatedly on London Live. That leadership is not something that I personally see as a major character trait of anybody that was running. But as things have gone on, and I think you look back to Jugmeet Singh and his performance at that leader's debate. There was only one English debate officially. There was only one French debate officially. I think we would be better served to have far more. But that's not the way the leaders want it. Control the message. Don't say anything that's going to do damage to you. You know, you can actually win things. And maybe, just maybe, this points to the fact that if we're going forward, more debates would be better. Jugmeet Singh and the Liberal and the NDP right now, as much as Sebastian Delaire didn't want to use the word surge, if they do another poll and we see again another positive growth, then yeah, that's a surge. But if you look at the chatter that is going on, some of the numbers from polling, growth for sure. And where does that stem from? It goes hand in hand with that leader's debate. You can win in a debate. Too many people in politics right now play not to lose. That's a dangerous way to play anything in life. Play to win. Take some risks. That's the best thing you can do. You'll look back at your life and you will say, yeah, I'm glad I did that. If you play not to lose, chances are you're not going to win. And that's the key. You're not going to have those big opportunities. You're you're not going to take those chances that maybe result in something fun. Maybe things don't work out, but hey, there's always another opportunity, always another chance to take. So interesting to see hand-in-hand Jugmate Singh, who was far more congenial who was far more charismatic at that leaders debate and now the NDP are growing in support it looks like can they grow enough I don't know but what about next time around this is not the last election hopefully our country has one of the greatest things in news is being able to unearth things that we didn't know about. We get fascinated by things that we don't know about, and so we should. But what if something is being ignored? You know what it takes? It takes someone to ignite it. And that's exactly what Mike Armstrong has been doing. Mike is a global news reporter, and he has a series that has been coming out dealing with Issues that people maybe feel haven't been covered enough or haven't been discussed enough. And when we talk election, what do we hear about? We got an email a little while ago that worked as a request, not a request to play a song, because we can't do that, but a request to do something. Follow this on the campaign trail. Follow that on the campaign trail. Tell me what the federal leaders are up to. Tell us what the local leaders believe. That's the kind of thing that we really try and do. Well, that's the kind of thing that Mike Armstrong has been doing as well, and we are lucky enough to have him joining us right now. Mike, how are things today? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. You put it very well. I'm, I'm hoping I captured the essence of what you've been doing, because you've been putting a lot of work into a lot of really different issues. If I look this week, you've talked about seniors' issues. Uh, today, you talk about defense policy, and I'd love to dig into that a little bit. How did you determine which issues you wanted to ignite?
2: Yeah, well, we, we put out a call a couple of weeks ago just asking the public what ideas, what issues... They feel are being ignored in this election, and we started getting emails uh, one after another. They started pouring in. I mean, if I look at what I've got in front of me, affordable housing, arts, Canada Post, caregivers, debt, disability—that's just A to D. <laughs> so, so uh, one and one of the—I have a folder in front of me that's just seniors saying that their issues aren't being addressed enough and, and that they're feeling frustration. Um, so that's where we started yesterday, and as you said today, we're looking at uh, defense.
0: Even before we get to defense, which came up on London Live yesterday, let's talk about some seniors issues, because you're right, of all of those high-end issues that seem to be brought up time and time again, seniors issues, I can't even recall it being brought up. So what exactly did you find from seniors? What is it that they're concerned about?
2: Well, lots of different things, as it turns out. I mean, uh, you, t- you hear a lot of them talking about t- living on a fixed income and that it- that doesn't keep up with the cost of living. Uh, affordable housing is a big, big issue. I mean, we spoke to several people who said, I am where I am, but if I have any trouble, a fire or something, I'm never going to find something that I can afford. Um, then there's the issues of people retiring in one community, like Toronto, and moving further out to a place like Kingston, Ontario, and taking some of the housing there and that trickles down and makes everything more expensive it was- incredibly interesting, actually.
0: Yeah, and we've seen a lot of that coming west of Toronto, too, even in this area where some of the rise in housing prices has been not necessarily, I don't want to use the word blamed, but contributing to it has been the influx of people from Toronto looking for more affordable housing on their own. And then where where are the rest of us going to go? Do we continue to move out into the, the other sectors even further out from London and, and this area? We're talking right now with Mike Armstrong, global news reporter, And we're talking about his series, Ignited and ignored. You can find it at globalnews.ca. Let's look at today, because you delve into defense, and this is something that was brought up on London Live yesterday, in a way, when we talked about military and the idea that everybody's pointing fingers at U.S. President Donald Trump saying, hey, he's pulled troops away, but the question was raised, well, what is the rest of the world doing? When we look at Canada's military, you took a long look at defense, which is, I guess, an important thing if anyone ever wanted to come and buy us on the head. But what did you find?
2: Well, it, again, it was just people from basically the public sending us emails. And so I made a few calls to experts, people that deal with this field every day. And sure enough, they are just shocked. They, they, they point back four years and say, look, four years ago, for example, we had an aging fleet of um, airplanes, fighter jets here in Canada, and the F-35 was the solution. And there was a huge debate around that. Well, four years later, our planes are even older, and it's not an issue in this campaign at all. How does that happen? And then at the same time, we're seeing more threats to our security and to our economic interests from China, South China Sea, where they're affecting uh, trade routes and things, Uh, Russia, which is, you know, we know what it's doing in Ukraine. I mean, it's in Cuba recently. They're in Venezuela, so right in this hemisphere as well. And while all of that goes on, as you said, the U.S. pulls back from its traditional role as a global policeman, and people are pointing at Donald Trump and saying, "Well, that's that's him doing it." But there was a trend that started before President Trump, even under Obama, where there was sort of less of that Truman Doctrine um, and, and a shift away from it. Trump, uh, many of the experts say, only tapped into it; he didn't create it
0: interesting so in terms of defense if we're looking at how we sit militarily in terms of trying to defend our own borders is this something that by the people you've talked to they want to they want to at least hear more about be reassured more about
2: absolutely i mean one gentleman we spoke to uh, from the Canadian Global uh, Global Affairs Institute Put it this way. He said, look, we can have this conversation down the road in four or eight eight years, but it might be too late. There is a lot going on right now. Just look at the Arctic. Russia's putting bases in the north. Uh, They've moved 10,000 soldiers, some people are saying, up into the north. China, which isn't an Arctic nation, is bidding to join the Arctic Council because it says it's a near-Arctic nation. But it also regards the north or views the north as a global resource. That's a little. that can be a little scary because they're building all sorts of new icebreakers and things, and meantime, Canada's barely looking north at all.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for raising each of these issues. Coming up tomorrow, you'll be looking at the drug epidemic, and we've had a lot of that here in London. And then mm-hmm. on Friday at Affordable Housing, can't wait to read what you were putting together. Mike, keep up the great work. This is fantastic. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Take care. That's Mike Armstrong, Global News reporter. So, again, those things that... We don't hear enough about, and we stumbled on this and what Mike was doing based on what was said by a couple of people, a email from Alan and a call from Bob yesterday. and that's that's a very interesting story. I think we should explore to a greater extent, certainly after the election. But, yeah, our defense policy. We've never had to think about defense, really. But when all of a sudden, There are great resources up north, and there are countries that want them. That's where you get bopped on the head. We don't want to be bopped on the head. From a militaristic standpoint, yeah, we're lacking. We have been for a while. My father-in-law used to tell the joke that he was at a stop or a, a train crossing. There was a train going by. And he was there with a buddy of his, and they were just waiting. The train's going by. All of a sudden, there's a car, and it has one tank on it. And it zooms by, and the buddy looks over to him, and he says, Well, there goes our military. Are we that far off from that? We are rising up in some other areas. Men's soccer. And you know what? This is a really nice story. Canada's men's soccer team team, defeated the United States for the first time in 34 years. Joining us to talk about this and how relevant it is and what it could mean for the future is a man who knows his soccer in London, Ontario. You name it, he has coached it. Right now involved with the Western Mustangs, Martin Painter. Martin, how are things? All things are very good.
3: Things are very good. So, enjoyed the Canada win last night and...
0: It it was a difficult match to find, but people who did ended up being very entertained. Can we put some perspective on this? Because we knew going in that Canada had not beaten the United States in 34 matches, but at the same time, if you looked at how many matches there actually were between the two countries, there weren't necessarily, you know, two matches a year for 34 years. But when you look at this in its significance, what do you see?
3: Yeah, I think it's I think it's massive. I think it, since 1984, the United States has been to six World. broke. C- Canada's only been to one, which was in 1986. So, you know, in those you know, 34 years, the United States has kind of taken an upward trajectory and, and went from, a, you know, not a strong soccer nation to becoming a very strong soccer nation. And Canada, in the meantime, has kind of flatlined or even gone down a little bit. So you know, we the result last night, I think, is a, is a significant result, and I think it marks the change in that trend, I think, which has been going on. I think Canada's been been turning things around over the last couple of years, for sure, and uh, the United States is is, is is in a rough patch. So I think, you know, I don't think it was a complete shock to people who've been following the teams last night, but I think it's an important milestone.
0: When you look at Canada really starting to turn a corner. Do we look at the soccer programs in this country, the number of people playing and the fact that, you know, there's been a rise in maybe the talent level of players, or do we look at it as being, Hey, there's John Herdman. Look what he did with the women's team. Now look what he's doing with the men's team. Where do you take your finger and put it down?
3: That's a good question. I think there's, there's probably a few different factors. I think certainly with Canada soccer, uh, Leadership at the national level uh john herdman and also within the organization and in the clear direction they have jason devos who's who's from London, who's been instrumental in that, kind of given the kind of the clear purpose and driving things forward um I think leadership's been been key over the last couple of years, and I think it's helped exploit some of the other things that have been moving positively so I think certainly the number of soccer players across the country, the, the, the level of coaching and professionalization of that has gone up and the number of professional opportunities for, for our male players. So, you know, we have three MLS teams in, in Canada, in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. We also have a grassroots professional league that has just started this year in the CPL. So with, with seven teams across Canada. So I think those factors are all working together and I think the leadership is, is there as well. And there is also a, kind of a generational it's a really good generation of players coming up at the same time um you know you'll get Alfonso Davies playing at Bayern Munich which is which is massive for a Canadian player but there's the six or seven other guys coming up at the same time that are all playing in top top leagues and and growing up together and I think it's produced a great energy
0: we're looking back at something that should not go unnoticed last night's victory by Canada over the United States in men's soccer with Martin Painter Martin, with regard to what comes next for Canada, you mentioned that the U.S. soccer program maybe has has drifted back a little bit. We see a, a win by Canada over the United States and think wow, we we are in this for the next World Cup. This, this is big. They're one of the big dogs in CONCACAF. Wow, here we go. When you look at CONCACAF, is it realistic to think that Canada could be top three and qualify for a World Cup?
3: Absolutely. I think Two thousand twenty two we we started off behind the eight ball a little bit with the qualifying format, the way it works, but I think that's one of the reasons the result last night was so massive. Uh helps us get into what's called the hex, which means the six team, six top teams in CONCACAF in get to get to compete for those those three spots. And obviously Mexico would be it would be a gigantic shock if Mexico did not qualify. Uh but after Mexico I think it's wide open. I think we're looking at a you know time when the United States and Costa Rica which have been the two most powerful um, the next two most powerful countries in CONCACAF are at, at weak points in their cycle where they just have a generation that's getting kind of older and their young guys aren't quite there yet whereas Canada I think is is a little bit ahead of them and I think yeah, I don't think anybody's going to look at playing Canada and be happy about it and look, and look forward to those fixtures because uh, our team is looking strong now
0: When we talk about the format for qualifying, has it been this way or did they change it this year?
3: Yes, yeah, it's changed. It's a new formula, and that's this, the, the, the match last night was a part of this Concacaf Champions League, which is a new, or sorry, Nations League, which is a new competition that helps seed teams and, and decide who, who gets to play in that, that final round
0: of qualifying, which is known as the hex. So, in other words, this this was big. Then this will help yeah, Canada.
3: Yeah, enormous, enormous result, and uh, because it affects the ranking, and the ranking is, is one of the things that determines those those places.
0: Excellent. Well, it was that big, a 2-0 win, Canada's first victory in going back 34 years over the United States. Martin, it's fitting that we have you on London Live this afternoon because there are two big matches coming up tonight for the Western Mustang soccer teams. And you look at the women's side, unbeaten so far this year at 9-0-3. They'll play Windsor at 6 o'clock. The men play at eight fifteen. What can you tell us about Western's programs?
3: yeah I think uh, our women's team is having an excellent season to date and uh, with the win today we could clinch first place in our division and our men's team has, has been a little up and down, but we're at five hundred now and it's a very congested competitive division and and the win today would be huge as well help us with both teams in the playoffs, and you know both teams have a chance to go on far so it's a
0: good season so far. the women's side what's propelling them to what they're doing right now
3: yeah it's it's uh it's a very good team uh when i say team i mean it's a balanced team we have we have good players in every position we have in, internal competition where you know players have to work hard training every day to, to to earn their spot on the team and the team plays with a great sense of cohesion um a very hard working group a very intelligent group and you know tough tough team to play against but um, playing in a tough division where a lot of our games are close you know and you know Windsor's is going to be no exception tonight so it's it's uh it's a really great group to work with and it's you know a bunch of local kids in there too so it's it's good to see.
0: Women play at 6, men play at 8:15. Martin, thanks for talking soccer with us. All the best, Mike. Martin Painter on Canada's victory last night over the United States, the promise that they have and maybe qualifying for the World Cup before they grow this thing to 48 teams and some western soccer in London. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.